0: Vodka. 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 O'clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love, and you are listening to Vodka O'clock from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget, you can sponsor the show and the website through Patreon. You just go to Patreon.com/AmberUnmasked, and you can now sponsor for uh, a, any monetary amount per month instead of per show. This is a new thing for this year. So, please go ahead and do that. So, you can sponsor for as little as a dollar per month, or what would be great is if you still do like $5 a month. And joining me today um, is uh, Desiree, and we are going to talk about things that are pretty sensitive. So, I just wanted to upfront give like a content warning, trigger warning. Um, you know, I know that's sort of a controversial issue whether or not to give such warnings, but since our entire conversation is going to be talking about self harm and suicide, I figured it's it's pretty appropriate now more than ever. and um you know, so that's the kind of topics we're going to be covering. And I first came to know Desiree and her organization lived through this when I discovered her photography project, which I thought was really cool, and it documents self harm and suicide attempt survivors. So since then, I've really enjoyed the rest of her online footprint from tweets and Instagram, and uh, she has a T-shirt design that's really cool. So these are the types of things that um, you will learn about, and you know why she got involved in this. So Desiree, thanks for joining me.
1: Of course, I love doing podcasts.
0: I noticed that you are quite the voracious public speaker and educator. So <laughs> I thought, you know, sometimes it's really hard to get people to open up on a subject like this. And um, somebody who is out there all the time public speaking seemed like the right person to invite onto the show.
1: Yeah. So, uh,
0: you know, what was your background to get you to
1: be so out there publicly? Girl. <laughs> um. I am a consummate oversharer, probably. Uh, You can see that from the Twitter. And um, I don't know. It just feels kind of like things I don't believe in, like fate and destiny kind of brought me to this career, which is kind of a stupid thing to say. But, um, you know, I have I have a background uh, with personal experience with depression and suicide attempts, self-injury. I've lost friends. I recently was a bystander to a suicide. Um, and I studied psychology as an undergrad, went all the way to the PhD level, started working on a PhD, wanted to do research on self-injury and suicide and kind of, they were, they were not really supportive even though they let me in their program, which I thought was strange. So I just kind of (laughs) left. I left without telling anybody. There were lots of rumors, um, after I left about what had happened to me. Uh, and i just i pursued a different career in the music industry taught myself photography and then i uh i started to pursue this project and the goal was never to become a public speaker uh i thought i would just do this thing and it would live in some tiny corner of the internet and i never ever ever planned or suspected that any of the success the project has had would Happen, and I certainly never thought I would be a public speaker. Um, I remember when I was in college, I took you know the the necessary public speaking class, and I would sit in the back and be like, I hate this, I'm so terrified of this, I don't like the spotlight on me. Um, I aced the class, but I didn't want to do that, and I remember telling myself, I will never have any kind of a career that requires me to speak in front of people." And it's like foot in mouth so hard. That
0: happens. I, you know, I I strongly think that um, everybody in college should be given a theater class. Mm. Uh, uh, Basically, not even not even theater, because I don't know that it's important to learn about things like stage direction and lighting or anything like that. I just mean how to act, because so many jobs involve a certain amount of bullshit. Mm hmm and becoming someone else and getting through the day masking yourself as someone else. Uh, you know, something like sales where you're <laughs> essentially, you know, for the most part, lying your way to something in order to make a commission. Yep. I, I you know, it's like if, if people were taught acting, <laughs> it, it would just, it just seems like it would be so much easier to get out into the business world because
1: I'm terrible at it. I am the worst bullshitter. Uh, I think that gets me into trouble. I'm pretty transparent. Uh, the only... The only experience I've had with theater is when I was in marching band and we were doing a Braveheart show and we had to learn how to die gracefully on the field with our instruments.
0: Oh, fun! <laughs> That's way cooler than my marching band experiences. <laughs> Although I have to say, they did they did take one of my suggestions, which of course I never got credit for. Um, it was like the first time I got to experience, you know, when you have a brilliant idea and you never get credit for it. Uh huh. High school marching band when. um, I said, hey, can we do the routine from the movie Stripes? Right. And it was, you know, the guys have their rifles and they, you know, they have this like stupid little thing that they go through and they do these steps. And it, you know, it was a brilliant idea for high school. And then the band director presented it as his own idea. And we did it and we won awards that year.
1: <laughs> what a douche.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was totally mine. Yeah, <laughs> <asshole. laughs> <laughs> real world welcome to it
1: yeah right at least you got that lesson I, early I guess
0: I did get the lesson really early um but I I kind of was always comfortable I guess um I I never I guess it wasn't public speaking like I never wanted to be an actor or be on stage or, or anything like that but as soon as I got to college and I started radio broadcasting and and doing anything like that I was Comfortable. I mean, it's nerve wracking, like I'm sweating now and, uh, you know, but I'm fine with it. Like, I can't imagine not doing it. So, um, you know, so now you have this career where you go to different conferences and things and you have to get up at a microphone and you have to talk about (laughs) self-harm and depression and, and mental health. So these are not, these are not subjects that people are going to feel good about. Right, right, right. You know, so how do you get your message, and you know, get it, get the message out there to the people who need to hear it.
1: I mean, at the moment, I'm kind of doing a lot of preaching to the choir. I talk to a lot of suicidologists, suicide researchers, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, crisis center people. Uh, I also speak at universities, but the majority of my work is focusing on. The people within the suicide prevention field, because surprisingly, the suicide prevention field has not been open uh, in the past to people with uh, a history of mental distress, or you know, however you want to call it. Uh, I don't really love the phrase "mental illness." I'm I'm grappling with that right now, but um, they didn't really want to hear from us too much, and so. I'm still trying to show them that we're not scary, you know, that we can be a part of the world, a functional part of the world, um, that we still struggle, but that we're valid as humans and that our stories are valid and that, in fact, our stories can help their work. Um, So there's that. And then, uh, you know, universities, sometimes the kids don't want to hear it and sometimes they really love it and it just depends on who's there on any given day but when I tell my story uh I am very careful to try and avoid um as much triggering content as I can uh you know because talking about this stuff is certainly not easy and like when I'm doing my interviews for my project the moment someone starts talking about cutting I have to like take a deep breath (laughs) You know, so I I experience that often. And I know that when people are listening to me, they could potentially be experiencing it as well. And I don't want I don't want to make things harder than they should be. Um, Also, there is uh, kind of within the suicide prevention field, a set of guidelines that we all try to uh, abide by. You know, Um, you know, like don't don't talk about your method of your suicide attempt in detail, don't talk about cutting in detail. Don't essentially don't romanticize it. Um, And I find myself questioning it a lot, especially since recently there was a study um, that came out that said, you know, maybe these, these guidelines aren't necessarily so effective. Uh, I do have concerns about the study itself and would like to see it replicated, but I generally try to follow the guidelines. And when I'm concerned about whether I'm doing that or, you know, whether I'm I'm kind of consuming some media where there's coverage on suicide or self-injury, I just ask myself, like, to what end was this necessary? And I think that's a good guiding principle for telling these stories and going out there and doing the thing.
0: The, the project that you mentioned, you know, uh, you've titled it Live Through This, and it's based on um, portraits of people. So... It, when I mean, first of all, when anybody takes up photography, it seems like, you know, naturally you're just looking for subject matter. Right. But you had this um where it became a complete photo essay mm-hmm. of people and their stories, and you know, just just acknowledging their biography yeah. of surviving suicide attempts so so where did the thought even come from where you know you you just wanted to take somebody's picture for this reason (laughs)
1: um so you know like i mentioned before i'm i'm a suicide attempt survivor myself i attempted in 2006 and kind of within the next year i did the grad school thing i think i lived in three states um after grad school, I just ran away to New York. I was like, I don't know when you're lost. What do you do? You run away with to New York with no money and no plan and hope for the best. So that's what I did. And I fell into this career in the music industry and I started shooting shows. Photography was a hobby at that point. And um, I was learning it and I taught myself photography by shooting shows because I had Access. I think that a lot of people don't, you know, just saying like, oh, I work for this uh, huge recording label. Can I get on your industry list? So I taught myself that way. And then I was working with different blogs. And I said, hey, you know, can I start interviewing artists? And they were like, yeah, totally. So I got to interview people who I looked up to for a long time, like Tori Amos, Amanda Palmer, Tegan and Sarah, um, just people I loved and respected. And I built these skills. And then I kind of got tired of that work. Not not tired of it, but I, I thought, you know, I wanted to be someone who was doing some good in the world. And as cool as this is for me, what good is it going to do? You know, who cares about pictures of, of musicians in the end? And so I started thinking about, well, you know, what could I do? And I was looking for a personal project. Uh, and I had never really thought, you know, I was kind of open about my story. I wasn't necessarily walking into my workplace being like, I'm depressed. I tried to kill myself. But I was open about my, my experiences to other people. And I didn't, but I didn't know what to call myself. And that is, the language is an issue within the suicide prevention field even today. Uh, what language do we use for certain things? And so I googled suicide survivor because I figured, well, if you live through cancer, you're a cancer survivor. So I guess that's what I am. I live through suicide. And what I found was that the the lexicon was kind of including that phrase to mean people who had lost someone to suicide versus people who had lived through it. And eventually i came upon you know suicide attempt survivor so i was like damn you know where is everybody cuz there 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 just weren't many people talking openly about it and then when you'd you would find something uh it would either be a stat or it would be like someone talking about their story in silhouette and it was completely anonymous and it to me it was just really disheartening you know I, I was like why why do we have to be silent or why do we have to hide um what is that about you know and it, it is it's about discrimination and that's still an issue but i just kind of decided that i was going to figure out a way to to bring us out of the shame closet as i've called it in the past and really show the world that the people who are and have been suicidal are not the people you might think. Uh, Cause you know, we all carry around a certain amount of prejudice about who might be depressed and who might try to kill themselves. And usually it's the goth kids or the kids on Instagram who are posting pictures of themselves cutting. And it's not, that's not true. That's not the only reality there. Um, so I just wanted to explore that. And it made sense to me to include a storytelling element because our stories are so different. We're not coming at this from the same angle. Uh, And people who have been a part of the project have come from, you know, different faith bases, different gender presentations, different ethnicities, different professions. Um, So, yeah, that that was kind of it. I just really wanted to identify us in a way and normalize, the idea that suicide does happen and it happens to all kinds of different people. So we need to, we need to throw these weird stereotypes and perceptions that we have out the window. And, you know, we, we see a lot of this kind of uh, discrimination when we start talking about these mass shooters, you know, they say, Oh, well they have mental illness. And it's like, Whoa, 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 (laughs) Whoa, that is different. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it that really is something that just frankly gets on my nerves. Yeah, like that's a um,
1: completely different creature.
0: Yeah, it really. It it just absolutely is. It's um First of all, it's hard to encompass all of us in one blanket category to begin with yeah. other than like you said, with cancer, you're blanketed under cancer no matter what kind you have. Right. Um but if you even drill down, cancer—people who got lung cancer through smoking—are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. completely complete pariahs. Yeah. Whereas, you know, breast cancer is like, you know, for whatever reason, breast cancer is like the golden child
1: of cancer. Don't get me going on Susan G. Komen.
0: Yeah, they're awful. So, <laughs> um, so when it comes to suicide attempt survivors. You have rich people, you have cisgendered people, you have poor people, you have veterans, you know, and I, I don't have the figures. I don't know if you have any as far as ratio, but, you know, I, I had heard anyway that the, uh, the LGBTQ population was more susceptible, and in particular, the transgender community within that. And, yeah. um, you know, so gender and sexuality are completely different beasts in and of themselves, but they are lumped together. Right. So you know what um, you know. People are becoming more comfortable talking about transgender issues. So I guess that's one thing celebrity does for you is um, you know when celebrities start coming out, people Uh, people people, you know I don't know they still think you're a freak show, but it's you know it's easier to talk about and they're learning how to use pronouns and stuff.
1: sort Sort of. Sort of. Sort of.
0: Sort of. Some
1: people are. Yeah, some people are. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about Caitlyn Jenner either, but... Yeah, <laughs> the, no.
0: The, no, but there's, you know, but uh, the trans population, I don't know, recently I guess there was a
1: new transgender-specific hotline for... Yes, um, yes, yes. Crisis. Trans Lifeline, they are incredible. I know both of the ladies who started it, uh, Greta and Nina, and that's a really great resource. Um, in terms of statistics, I think the statistic is that 41 to 43 percent of transgender people have attempted suicide in the past uh because the trans community faces a lot of challenges that the regular lgbt the lgb population uh doesn't you know they're they just they they have to face so much more discrimination than we could ever begin to um think about most of us as 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 gay people, um, you know, cisgendered gay people, I guess. Um, yeah, I lost my other thought. Oh, the thought was, um, aside from that, on the topic of celebrities telling their stories, I was doing some research recently and I don't really remember why I, uh, came across this one study, but it said that celebrity stories are powerful, but the stories that are more powerful are the stories of regular people who have been through these things and contact with these regular people who've been through these things and who are willing to share is more impactful on the community around them than celebrity, which to me, I've always thought, you know, as a celebrity, you have, um, a lot of power and being able to use that platform for good is really important and that they should. But then I read this and I'm just like, Oh, well, okay, I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, I, I guess it's one of those things where it used to be something that was hidden. So who knows how many stories have ever been out there. Um, And, you know, now um, I guess we, just as a global community, seem to address religion differently. Some people are are questioning it, and some people won't. And so, there's still even like you know, the Catholic Church was if you had committed suicide, you couldn't be buried mm-hmm. on Catholic Catholic grounds. But I have a feeling if you throw enough money at them, they'll let you be buried in their cemetery. You know, yeah. um, because it's money. Money is the you know the golden ticket. He talks. So it gets you up to, you know, the pearly gates. And um, Peter, I have money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Remember all those years I didn't tithe to you? Well, I'm going to make up for it in my deathbed. Okay. Got a big one. Um, but, you know, so the, so I don't know. There's um, sometimes there's celebrities who survive these attempts and and kind of still won't talk about it. I guess it was one of the Wilson brothers. Oh, owen Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Wilson. But then there's Robin Williams and it was the, the beauty of Robin Williams was, that, was the fact that everybody knew him as, a, you know, a drug addict for how long? And then he cleaned up his act and had an m- even more successful career after he got clean. Um, so it was like, how can somebody this brilliant, this funny and this loved commit suicide? And it's like. You don't, you might not even know that you feel loved. I don't know what he was feeling. I'm never going to pretend to know what he was feeling at the time. Um, you know, but it, a lot of people started, you know, tweeting the hotline number and, you know, that sort of things and, and making promises that if anybody on my feed needs to talk, I'm here for you. And it's like, okay, well, do you mean, you might mean that today. Do you mean
1: it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Do you mean it next week? Yeah. Yeah, Robin Williams was interesting. Um because he died by suicide and he had been very open about being, bi- you know, having bipolar living with bipolar disorder in the past. Um I think that he was a great philanthropist uh toward mental health organizations and when he died, yeah, it was, it was shocking for a lot of us because, like you said, you, you as a famous person with all of this money and all of this acclaim and, and, and people who love you, you, um, you know, that's, that's the American dream, right? So when the American dream doesn't work out, we all get really freaked out. Uh, but the, the thing about suicide and feeling suicidal and, again, you know, I can't, I can't speak for him either. But I know that when I feel suicidal, and I, I have a beautiful family that I've created, and I just feel like I'm a burden to them. I feel like I'm in their way and that it would be better for me to be gone. Uh, so I imagine there was some of that happening. Um, but what really bugged me about the Robin Williams situation was that the moment we found out that he had this Parkinson's diagnosis, It was like, oh, well, maybe he died by suicide because of that. You know, maybe he just didn't want to watch his body deteriorate. And somehow that made it more okay than if he had just been struggling with bipolar disorder and addiction for all of these years. You know, this.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because terminal illness was one of the things I wanted to, to talk about. Right. And, you know, because it's, I guess I, I don't know if it's a state's issue still or, or what the, the situation is. I Sometimes legislation just gets too
1: confusing. So I don't even know where we are today uh, yeah, with, the, you know, how, the right to end our own life. I think it's it depends on who we are. But certainly you do not have the right to end your own life or some people call it a good death. You don't have the right to a good death if you have history of um, a mental mental health diagnosis or Alzheimer's Uh, and I think because it's all about mental capacity and I think that um, not being able to make that choice when you have Alzheimer's is a a really huge tragedy Um, I talk about this with my wife a lot this this thing because I don't you know cancer sure is a terminal illness but how, how is depression not you know to me it threatens your life regularly. Uh, I've
0: wondered that as well. That's, you know, when people compare it more to diabetes, right? I'm, I'm more inclined to do that because it's something that's daily, even on a really great day. Whereas cancer, you can go to remission. I don't recall really ever going into remission. I recall having longer periods of time without these deep, dark thoughts. But, um, but they were it still always felt like there was something there.
1: Yeah, it's always there kind of waiting in
0: the oh, wings yeah. and you
1: never know and it's like it's oh are you going to fail
0: at this? Oh are you going to up- what happens if this file doesn't upload correctly? Right. You know, like what happens if, you know, your car stalls on on the highway on the way home. You know, like the things that other people just cope with mm-hmm. that feel like the end of the world.
1: Yeah. Sometimes.
0: You know, and even if it is something that's, you know, a million miles away, like 9-11 fucked me up and oh. I'm an hour away from it. Like, I'm not even there.
1: Yeah. I didn't know anybody there. I I have literally no connection to it. Yeah. It fucked me up all the way from Florida and I didn't have any connection to it either. I didn't give one fuck about New York City when I was 18. <laughs> I wasn't one of those people who dreamed of going there. I just kind of ended up there. Um yeah, those those things I think if you're a more emotionally sensitive person will fuck you up. Uh, I lost my train of thought again.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: That's okay. Now what we were we talking about terminal illness? Terminal illness. And- um
1: yeah, it I had to take a sip of coffee. Um it it is something that that I think about often, uh especially in terms of this this idea of capacity. It's a tragedy for Alzheimer's victims. I want to say. I, I do feel like that's. I guess um.
0: Alzheimer's is fucking evil. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. That is. That is. You're definitely a victim if you get that. Yeah.
1: Off. And you lose. You do lose your capacity at some point. And there was. You know that movie Still Alice. There is a, a a suicide subplot. You know about. I want to end my life at this point, but she. I don't know if she didn't feel she could do it openly or or whatever the case, but, you know, she made herself a video and they really dropped the ball on that one. I think, I think they could have explored that a little more, but yeah. What, why can't you make that choice? Why can't you put that in an advanced directive or, or whatever? And I guess my concern with mental health diagnoses in terms of the good death is, uh, the capacity thing as well, because you're, you're automatically written off if you have that in your past. And so to me, it's like, even though, you know, this, this thing does kind of stalk me and stalk my mind and I never know what's going to happen. I am not without capacity at all times. I make better decisions than a lot of the people I know who don't struggle with this shit. Uh, and that's just kind of insulting, but then when you think about, okay, well, what if we were to, um, what if we were to legalize assisted dying for people who have these diagnoses, you know, where, where is the line, you know, can young people do this? Uh, who can, you know, and that's, that's hard. Uh, I certainly think if you're, if you're going to do it, your brain should be fully formed. So you gotta be at least 25, 27, uh, stuff like that. But it's, You know, who's ever going to agree to that? You know, we're we're not Belgium or Brussels or wherever that girl Laura was this summer. She was 24 and she decided to end her life. Um, But I I do consider that often. You know, depression may not, it may not multiply your cells and make them attack your body, but. It certainly attacks your mind and it, it depletes your resources uh, and
0: it it uh, it greatly affects physical aspects yeah. of your of your being that a lot of people and especially a lot this this is one of the reasons that I really fucking hate like the diet industry, for example, as somebody yeah. who' basically dieted her entire life um, i I eventually gave up with dieting altogether because. I had to acknowledge the fact that my body is going to respond to what is happening to it. And sometimes what's happening to it is invisible. I cannot blame everything on food.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I cannot blame everything on sitting at a desk, doing a job. Yeah. You know, and I, unfortunately, I think that's what the, the health quote unquote, in, you know, air quote health and beauty industry does. I think they want to you to be blamed for everything that happens to your body.
1: hmm. Yeah, there's there's just so much uh, disagreement in the, the behavioral health system specifically. You know, a lot of people think, OK, well, suicidal behavior is mostly based on trauma. Uh, some people think, you know, it's the. The biological, um, cause chemical planet. imbalance, chemical imbalance, and yeah, which
0: is all based on a theory. Like I'm not sure, even sure how many people that take these meds are even aware of this. That it's just a theory.
1: Yeah, and it's a theory that that a lot of people have stopped believing in. Uh, you know, but I, I kind of think the <laughs> I kind of think the uh, the behavioral health field is more uh, of an art than a science in general. Psychiatry is an art it's a guess uh, and that's that's kind of scary you know um, and that's one of the other things with assisted dying it, It's kind of like they always say, "Well, this is treatable, and it's like, okay, but it's treatable until up, to, up until what point when do I get to say, "Maybe i don't want to keep changing up my meds maybe I've been through 20, 40 different medications, different cocktails that have made me feel terrible, that have made me not interested in sex, or I can't have an orgasm, or I sleep all day, or I feel sick, I feel lethargic, they make me suicidal anyway. You know, where's the stopping point? As cancer patients, they certainly have the option to deny chemo or radiation. Um, but if you, as somebody who deals with mental health issues, decide that you're done with that, you're called noncompliant, and you're just a troublemaker. Uh I yeah, so somebody with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if you read comics, but um not Bitch awful. Planet. Bitch planet fans are very familiar with the term non- noncompliant, compliant right and uh and we're okay with that we're okay. there are people getting non compliant tattooed on them <laughs> it's a, it's an n dash c logo and they're and every single person is getting it done differently like you know with different patterns in in the letters and stuff like that right um and i mean uh, last year in the the podcast, I interviewed uh, my friend Natalie, and we talked about the semicolon project. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing. Like people are getting the semicolon tattooed on them, yep. and some people are incorporating it in different ways, like in butterflies or as part of words and things like that. And it's um it's a way that you you take back something and you acknowledge it. And somebody like you, who's very public, um, might you know, that might be a scary thought to somebody else to be that public, whereas they only Absolutely. feel like, okay, well, if I'm in a safe space around people and they kind of know what the secret password is, right. then I'll open up. So that's what, you know, the the, the different tattoos mean like, oh, I see your
1: butterfly. How, can I, you know, talk about that? Right. I see you. Um, being seen is very important. I have a semicolon tattoo on my pinky. I got it last summer and I have a ampersand on my thumb and it's kind of It's the same concept. I don't necessarily love the semicolon project.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that incorporates religion into it, which was a little, um, you know, red flag for me. But on the same premise, I love what it represents and I'd I'd get one.
1: Yeah, I think they also recently copyrighted the semicolon. And I thought that was silly. Oh, God, no. Uh, Yeah. Don't do that. Well, it did. (laughs) Yeah. But I, yeah. I have one. I like the concept of it. I can I can separate that out from the organization and from the, the faith based uh, origins of it. Um, but to me, I, I I kind of identify more with the ampersand. I actually have two ampersands on my body, and and they got me. Or the mm-hmm. first one got me through a really hard, hard time. It was just like this, this is not an end. It's an and.
0: Uh, right. As a writer, I like both. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, a, you know, it's, it's it talking about somebody's story speaks to me because it's what I like to do. Right. Like, you know, I love memoirs and that's why I loved your live through this project with the photos and the small biographies because that's the kind of thing that I love.
1: Yeah. And those, those little, those interviews are getting longer and longer. The one that I put up just uh, last week is my first combat veteran and she her story was just incredible. It was also the first time I put up audio and her story uh, was 30, 33, 35 pages long in the end. I mean, I have two books worth of, of two or three books <laughs> worth of content just with these amazing stories.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, for those that want a shorter attention span required, um, it, the the Instagram has like, you know, the brief versions with things that people submitted themselves and you know have agreed to have out there in the world mm-hmm.
1: yeah so I, that's cool uh, the the instagram is still an experiment i'm not sure exactly what people want from it just yet but i'm working on it i'm thinking about it a lot the facebook is to um they're just share information see what happens i'm all about experimenting because it really is just a completely new endeavor, talking about suicide attempts, um, bringing social media into the behavioral health field is a new endeavor. I spend a lot of time teaching people uh, at conferences why social media is important and how we can use it.
0: <laughs> well, let me tell you um, of a case literally within the last week. There was a comic book creator who is local to me. So, I, I mean, I know him, but it's not like we're great friends or anything. And he he tweeted out something as simple as, I, you know, I've done the best I could. Um, you know, thanks for, uh, like, your love or something like uh, that. Goodbye. Uh-huh. And, like, that was it. I mean, when you throw a goodbye and it's not just like... God, I just can't deal with the world today. Goodbye. I mean, it was there was definitely something that if you read that your ears would perk up and your eyebrows would go up and you'd know that. Wait a minute. I don't think he's kidding right now. Right. And um, luckily it was at like Jesus o'clock at night. I mean, it was like some stupidly middle of the night kind of tweet. And there are enough people in comics that were on Twitter and saw it from all different time zones. And, uh, someone close enough to him was able to call his wife and make sure that he was okay and that he got help and he was home by the next day. And, you know, and he just said, I'm sorry, you know, for all of you, you know, for causing any worry, I was in a really dark place and I'm home and I'm safe, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, that was Twitter and Facebook. And I mean, it's, that's what the tools that people have, you know, you don't have to sit down at parchment and you know dip quill and ink to write out a profound statement it's just um you know 140 characters of i really have not feel like i have nothing left
1: yeah the internet is the most powerful tool that we have um and a lot of people who are a little bit older you know than us millennials or the oregon trail generation or whatever you want to call us um they don't get it which is shocking because you know a lot of them will still tout oh reach out talk to a friend blah blah blah, and they're not they're not really considering the reality that we live in now which is most of us don't want to talk on the phone and on top of that most of us don't really know how to ask for help Uh,
0: yeah and so some of the hotlines now have text options yeah you you know the veteran's Crisis Line, if you go to their website, um, veteranscrisisline.net, you can click on the chat function.
1: Yeah, crisistextline.org is really one of my favorites too. I know a lot of people who work there and I feel really strongly about it. They started out just working with younger people, but I think maybe now they've expanded. Um, Yeah, and, and the internet being the powerful tool that it is, that's the reason why I haven't made a book out of this project. Um, I'm certainly thinking about writing my own book, writing my own memoir, not thinking about it. I'm, I'm making notes actively, um, but I can't tell other people's stories. And I don't know that the production costs and then the retail cost of a book that would you know, be printed on nice paper for the pictures and, and whatever would be a worthwhile use of funds. Um, because who's going to pay 20, 30, bu- 30 bucks for a, a coffee table book, which is what it would in, end up being when they can just go on the internet. Because I know that when I am really fucked up, it is also like three in the morning. And a lot of the hotlines aren't available at that time. You know, crisis text Line, or uh, lifeline is 24 hours, but it gets routed to wherever you are. And if, some reason the area you're in doesn't have funding for a 2 a.m. call maybe you don't get through or maybe there are a ton of people calling and you get a voicemail you never know so to me it's good to have as many different kinds of resources out there as possible and I think that's kind of the niche that my project fills hopefully um is you can find it at 3 a.m. and you can read through these stories and look at these pictures and go okay these people have been there and maybe one of them looks like me, or maybe one of them doesn't look like me, but I was definitely sexually abused as a child. Not me, but this hypothetical person. Um, you know, and, and I can identify with that and I can cling to that and I can get through to tomorrow. Um, uh, you know, because when you're in a state of crisis like that, it really is a minute by minute scenario. But.
0: Well, I've, you know, I've wondered. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the millennial generation is totally different, and that's true, um, because, you know, first of all, veterans today have more support than they did. Um, young people today have more support than they did. But on the other hand, the stories that I hear about of young people committing suicide is usually caused by things like the Internet. I mean, it's, you know, it's schoolhouse bullying, but schoolhouse bullying taken online is exponential in the amount of damage. So it's, um, you know, there's there's ways to reach out and ways to have resources presented that way. But um, I think, for example, like on Instagram, if I look up the hashtag depression, yep. I get a pop-up first. Yep. That, um, I don't know if it gives the number. I can't even remember off the top of my head. But there's definitely a pop-up first saying that if you are in crisis, yeah.
1: um,
0: you know, please do
1: this. And do you want to look and at this material?
0: Do you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, please, you know, please be advised this content might be upsetting or something. I don't know. But, um,
1: you know, so they're,
0: they're trying to incorporate things. And I don't, I think they're doing what they can as far as artificial intelligence. I mean, it's a program. Um, I don't really know that that's the best option as opposed to a live chat with live people like you get on Twitter.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, um, you know, but the other thing that came up, is Obama recently passing Oof. or calling for $500 million to go to mental health? And I'm like, well, what does that mean? What does that go to? Does it just go to Pfizer to make more drugs? Right. What does that do? And, you know, and you talked about these crisis hotlines, maybe not being 24 hours or the fact that there wasn't a transgender crisis hotline until a couple months ago.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it was like, last year. They, they launched it either just before or just after Leela died. Um, but yeah, and they don't have funding. I mean, Greta and Nina are constantly fundraising, constantly fundraising. Uh, and it's a shame that they have to do that. But luckily, they're very, very, very good at it. Um, and they go out there and, you know, they they kind of stir the shit. The suicidologists did not want to hear what they had to say. And Greta showed up at the, the conference that, for that particular organization last year. And she was like, look, you need to pay attention to us. And I showed up as an attempt survivor and I said, look, you need to pay attention to us. Um, but, yeah, with the Obama thing, I don't I don't know what's going to happen, especially since it was tied into gun control. I'm very concerned about background checks that include mental health diagnoses. Not that I would ever want to own a gun, but I think that's discrimination. I think that's a violation of a civil right. Um it
0: is, and I agree with you. And I will tell you, as somebody who used to work in, in municipal government, that four out of five of our police officers in our small town were on some form of antidepressant.
1: Right. And antidepressants are. And they were on the job
0: carrying a badge and a gun. So why on earth is there a checkbox for me when I fill out a handgun permit, whether or not I've suffered from depression? Right, exactly.
1: Um, I want to go back to the kids real fast and the social media yeah, absolutely. Um, hmm. I had a few thoughts. I want to I want to make sure I can remember them. One thing that I think uh with social media and and the larger media when we talk about bullying kind of pisses me off because bullying has become trendy almost, you know, and we like we like things tied up and with little bows. Um bullying is certainly different these days than it was I guess when I was a kid um but the internet came around when I was when I was in high school so I got a little bit of it I got a little taste of that and it's more powerful now I think but it, it's very difficult for me to listen to news reports saying so and so died because they were bullied it's like no that's not the only reason they died you know there was it, it, it's more complicated than that suicide is always more complicated than that and that really bothers me because I think it it when, so this idea that people think of the stereotypes of the kids who are cutting themselves—they're the ones who are going to kill themselves, or the ones who are bullied, or the ones who are going to kill themselves—and that's not necessarily the case. You know, popular kids kill themselves all the time, and what's what's the excuse there? We don't have one. They weren't bullied, you know. They weren't. Paid.
0: Well, what's what I think um, is tragic, and I don't know how to stop it other than to make more money than Facebook is. When companies like that do things like their social experiments, I mean, Facebook has been outed a few times now for fucking with people's feeds mm-hmm. that um, it showed, you know, a certain population of their users uh, it only feeds for being sad. You know, it's picked up on keywords and started filtering their, their friends' feed for, for only those things. Because already, you already know that you're not seeing all of your friends. I have like 500 right. friends or something, and I am not seeing mm. all these people. I see the same 12 people every single day.
1: Yeah, you're seeing the ones you look at more.
0: So when, when it's known that Facebook is out there fucking with you and saying, oh, you're posting about being, de- being depressed today. Well, I'm going to show you only your friends who are depressed.
1: Right. That, that is fucked. And it's
0: like, what is that doing right. to people who are already on the edge?
1: Yeah. On the other hand, Facebook is not not that I want to like sing the praises of Facebook because I kind of think they're assholes, even though I look at their website every single day. Hi, Facebook. Um. They they have been working with suicide prevention professionals and people with lived experience um, on on a an approach to, you know, when, when someone posts something like that and wants to report it and is worried about them. I don't love all of the ways they've gone about it, but I can see that they're trying. Um, one of the concerns with that is that it will eventually, from what I understand, connect you to a person, but in the same way as, um, you know, when you call the, the suicide prevention lifeline, if they're concerned that you are, really dangerous to yourself uh they will send someone to your house and that's a hard hard thing uh you know sometimes it does save lives but sometimes it results in someone dying
0: Uh, that seems like a big trust issue that could be
1: really exploited yeah trans lifeline does not do that um which is something that's interesting about them and something that's a little uh, controversial about them. They don't believe in that because, I mean, I read a story, uh, from a, a guy in Florida, a, I don't know, maybe it was in the last year he called the, one of the hotlines and he asked for help. And I think he, he was in bed. I think he had a knife and he ended up being shot to death. You know, what, what purpose does that serve? That didn't help him. Now he's gone, you know? Um, so that's, that's a tough one there's definitely a trust issue there and a lot of people because of that won't call those hotlines and a lot of people because of that they they don't want to be hospitalized it's not being hospitalized for being suicidal is not uh the answer all the time uh i think we need to pay more attention to what the suicidal person feels like they want and need if they can voice that um you know and if they're not necessarily, you know, holding a gun to their head, excuse me. Uh yeah, we we just need to pay a little more attention to to the people who are affected by it instead of treating them like five-year-olds and saying I know better what you need than you do. Uh especially given that a lot of the the professionals, the clinicians are not um suicide prevention professionals they don't understand suicide they're afraid of it and they're in most cases not given training in grad school as behavioral health professionals they are not given training i think it's two three states now kentucky california and washington i want to say where it's mandated that um they get that training and even then it's a a short training you know uh that's that's concerning (laughs) That's very uh, concerning. And for me, I think, and I don't I don't think this is a popular opinion when I talk about it for some reason, I think it gives us a unique opportunity to uh, educate the larger public. You know, it's not hard to save someone's life when they're in crisis. It is literally a matter of getting over yourself and saying, hey, are you okay? What can I do? Uh, and that's not going to work in every case, but... My therapist isn't available at 3 a.m. when I really need him, but I can get on Facebook or I can text somebody and they can say, hey, I'm here for you. You know, what do you need? Do you just need to talk? Do you need me to call somebody? Do you want to go to the hospital? What do you need? Uh, and that's way, way, way more powerful to me. Um, I th-
0: yeah, I think that's true for any medical or you know, if, if medical is a negative term, I don't know. But for any Depends any condition that, that, that a person is in, um, we should have some kind of choice. And I understand that when you're not thinking clearly, you might not understand what the best choice is. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it, having all of your power removed from you is devastating. Absolutely. As somebody who's, who's been through it, I will tell you. Yeah. Um you know ha having some judge who has never seen me, but simply via a fax machine signed a piece of paper mm. say you're you need to be in this place instead of at home where you belong at home where you want to be you know it's like no, you belong here with these strangers It's like no
1: you belong no, you, here you know, no no act who are you? Yeah, yeah. Y-
0: yeah. You've will no
1: access to the people you love, no access to the music that might.
0: And it really does cut you off. I mean, because, yeah. like, you know, we're talking about the Internet and the power of that. A lot of the people that I love are accessible only to me through the Internet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, yeah, so I was, uh, I, my immediate family was literally all that I was allowed to see for a certain amount of minutes at a time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like prison. Yep. And I don't understand how that's considered a, a way to improve somebody's health.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't. And I, I mean, I was suicidal most recently, say 2013, and I had a good therapist and I went to her and I said, hey, I'm suicidal. And she said, look, if you if you really feel like you are in crisis, you should go to the hospital. And I was just like, that will never happen. That will never happen again. I was never hospitalized for a long time. In fact, I think the way that I was treated in the hospital after my suicide attempt was negligent. Although I am, um, counterintuitively a little thankful for it because I ended up getting the care I needed from my friends. Uh, but yeah, she was like, just go to the hospital. If you're feeling that way. And was like, hell no, absolutely not. I will not put myself in a position where I have no autonomy. Um, but on the other hand, I, in in most cases, even when I'm suicidal, I can say, okay, here's what I need. And I have people around who can help me.
0: Yeah. And that's, um, I think it's a matter of how how educated or how much the the family or loved ones, whoever makes that decision. Um, yeah. And that's a luxury. Understand, understands and knows. Like, I don't necessarily know how to take care of somebody who needs, you know, hypodermic injections every day. Mm-hmm. You know, or like you were talking about Alzheimer's, would it be, it would be certainly easier for me to put a loved one in a home where there are professionals who know that and I can go visit. You know, is that what that yeah. person needs? Oh, probably not. They're probably supposed to be in familiar surroundings, but um, so I understand the logic, but I don't agree with it as the person that it happened to.
1: Yeah.
0: I know where I wanted to be and I didn't want to be there.
1: Right. And, and I mean, let's be real healthcare especially in terms of behavioral health care is a luxury, even with Obamacare, even, even with any of this, it's a luxury. Um, and, and so to me, you know, like we can't all access that. We, who the hell can pay $300 to see a psychiatrist? Cause most of them don't take insurance. So why are we not educating people on other ways to take care of themselves? You know, there are some people who are doing it, but they're in the minority and, not everybody knows that they exist. And that's scary. What about, what about respite houses? I think that is such an amazing concept that barely exists anywhere. You know, you can say, I'm suicidal. Can I just stay here for a few days in a, in a safe place? And you get to chill out and do what it is that you need and talk to people and, just kind of calm down. Um,
0: well, if you're a rich celebrity, you get to do that. You get to get to go to places like Promises.
1: Yeah, but even so, like rich celebrities like Robin Williams, he was treated and treated and treated, and he's still gone. So, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I think putting the power in more hands rather than just the few chosen hands, uh, especially given that, given what we know about their their lack of expertise in many cases, is is a smarter route to go
0: absolutely so while we have just you know a minute or two left um like like i had said at the beginning of the show i met you because of the photography project and you know your creative work um so what can somebody who's suffering or feeling depressed or whatever how what works for you to suddenly embrace creativity? Because I know, forget it, my brain doesn't work. I can't write.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. It's, what do you do? It can be hard, embracing creativity when I'm, when I'm sick. My mom My mom says when I'm sick. I don't know if that's the right word either. Uh, it, it's hard. What I, what I try to do is maybe not necessarily embrace my creativity, but I just try to get myself through the moment, if that means sitting on my hands then that means sitting on my hands because last time I was suicidal, I lived near the George Washington Bridge and I wanted to go there, but I made myself stay still. If that means going to the movies, I like going to the movies alone. I like taking myself on dates. uh, I'll do that. If that means spending $10 (laughs) on a giant Starbucks coffee, I'll do that. Whatever, Whatever it takes to get me through. And sometimes it is writing and it doesn't have to be great writing. It's just, you know, in the journal that I kept before I tried to kill myself, I I just, I remember writing do for yourself, do for yourself, do for yourself because I was in an abusive relationship and I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to make myself leave. Um, so to me, it's very much about minute by minute, whatever it is that makes you feel better. And a lot of people have chosen to make a list when they're, when they're feeling okay, they'll make a list. Okay. What makes me feel good? And then they can refer back to that later. Uh, and I think that's helpful. You know, it's it's not it's not the solution, but it, it can be helpful.
0: That's fantastic. Um, and where can people learn about your projects and, and you your speaking engagements, anything like that?
1: Uh, LiveThroughThis.org dot org is is the home for all of that. Uh, there is I'm not great at keeping up the blog, but I do update uh, with the new with two new stories every month. Um. I have links to some resources. It's it's certainly not a complete list of resources. It should it should be larger. Uh but I I think that's at least a good place to go to know you're not alone. Um and like you, I also have a Patreon that allows me to kind of fund that. It's patreon.com slash live through this. Uh and and yeah, that's that's kind of where people can go. And I um I don't know. It's a different approach, but I think it's better um, for people who may not have access and who just need to know I am not the only one who suffers.
0: Well, I love your approach because you approach it as an artist. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's really visible. It's visible in the photography. It's visible in the T-shirt design. If you guys haven't seen it, it looks... Um, at least the one that I've seen, it says stay and it looks kind of like a heartbeat on a monitor. Yeah. So I think it's an exceptionally awesome, clever design. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I love that you, uh, you know, that you find art. <laughs> you still find it in this.
1: Yeah. You know, it's art can be anything you want it to be. For me, it's storytelling. For me, it's, it's just, asking the viewer to look into the eyes of this person who's struggled and, and, you know, realize that we're all people and we're all coming from a valid perspective, even if maybe you don't identify with it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do try to just kind of get it out there in, in different ways that appeal to people. Like the stay t-shirt design specifically is, is for people who need a reminder to stay, but it's, it's also for people who have lost someone and just want to get that message out there. Cause you wear that t-shirt. People are gonna be like, what is that? What does that mean?
0: It's, you know, Hey, it's another tattoo possibility. Let me tell yeah. You.
1: Right. I considered it and I was going to put it on my wrist and my wife was like, Hey, but you already have the word stay on that hand. Cause I have white tattoos of gladiolas on okay. on the backs of each hand and on one it says stay and on the other it says it says strong. So it's, it's just a reminder to myself, stay strong, because your your hands are powerful. Your hands are what can take your life, but your hands are also what can help you. Your hands are what can help you reach out. So that's a reminder, stay strong. And those t-shirts are also a reminder, just stay.
0: So I was going to ask you, I actually was going to ask you, I'm like, hey, do you mind if I get this tattoo? You <laughs> like, as
1: the owner of the diet design. No, go forth, go forth and get the tattoo. I am the owner of the design. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> It was just, uh, it was an idea I had because this the website that I run the t-shirt campaigns through, uh, Bonfire Funds, they were emailing me like, hey, will you try this out? Will you try this out? And I was very stubborn about wanting to go the traditional route with my t-shirts, just speaking to a company that screen prints t-shirts and blah, blah, blah. Um, but these, this website is, is more like a crowdfunding kind of website, um, so I was like, I had this idea in my head and I was fiddling with it and I finally designed it. And I was like, okay, let's, just, let's do an experiment. Uh, and it was wildly successful. You know, there are almost 500 of these t-shirts out in the world. And I, I would like to hope that they're helping.
0: Well, I think it's great. And I think that the work that you do matters. Thank you. And, you know, and I hope that your years know, filled with good speaking engagements and sharing whatever form and media the sharing comes from, you know, as one oversharer to another. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Twitter is
0: definitely where I go to pitch about things for You know, yeah. I love I, I share probably way too much also.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's uh to me it's good to meet another weirdo out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um so you know, live through this dot org once again is Desiree's website and, you know, you just look that up on Twitter and everything else and you can find it, too. Um, okay. And please go to the Patreon. <laughs> please go to the Patreon. Make sure that you support her and her work. And you can support me through Patreon at Amber Unmasked.
1: All um, Patreons go to them.
0: Yeah, Patreon. Seriously, I made a list at the end of the year of Patreons that I thought were pretty cool. So, um, you know, it's great having uh, art, art out there that's supported Um, Because I just read a really awful, depressing article on The Guardian about um, how most writers are living in poverty or making poverty wages. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, please support the arts. (laughs) We, you know, I I don't want to keep seeing billions of dollars going to the NFL when I know (laughs) know that the arts have no money. Yeah,
1: Um, we're probably running over, I know, but
0: (laughs) that's okay. (laughs)
1: The power of crowdfunding, man. Patreon, yeah. Kickstarter, all of those things, they allow they allow people to support things they believe in for even just a dollar, and I think that is so incredible, you know. Yeah. When I did my it's, Kickstarter, I raised $23,000. I thought that it was going to be unsuccessful, and then it was wildly successful. And it's just kind of like wow, you know, the, the power of a dollar and many people with a dollar is incredible.
0: It really is. It really is. And so thank you to everybody who's supported all of us so far on uh, on our Patreon. And, you know, and I know there's other, whatever the other platforms are. There's a bunch of them out there. There's one specifically for, like, web comics and stuff, Taptastic or something. Huh. So thank you for supporting us. Um, I happen to like Patreon. I, you know, I like that they basically said fu you when um, big banks tried to disagree with them about things like adult content. Uh-huh. So they kind of won me over with that move. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, You know, because I'm all for responsible adult content. Yeah. Uh, um, And that's, you know, so that's it. So Desiree, thank you. It's been awesome. And i really, really appreciate you being
1: here. Thank you so much. I've had fun.
0: All right, guys, don't forget to follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter and you can pester me there as well. So um, have a great day, everybody. Cheers.